riflemen, negotiators. So during this time that they're making those calls to bring in help to solve this problem and stop it immediately. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning, Hong Kong. I'm Andrew Work, and you are listening to Back Chat on RTHK Radio 3. Today is May 27th, the last Friday of the month, and today we talk ticketing and ticket scalping. Popular boy band Mirror is set to have 12 concerts at the Hong Kong Coliseum in the coming July and August. For the first time, tickets will be sold under a real name system in an attempt to take on scalpers after show tickets were reportedly being resold online for thousands and thousands of dollars. Some lawmakers welcome the move, but hope that the ratio of tickets set aside for the public could be increased because only 30% of tickets for the band's first 10 concerts had been set aside for public sale, the minimum amount required at the venue under the current rules. 70% will be sold privately by the organizer or via the concert's sponsors. What do you think? Will real name registration help take down scalpers? But what about the 30% public sale rule? Should the Rugby Sevens sell tickets under the same formula? Would... We want your opinions and questions. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 2338-8266 and help us to wade through the thicket of ticket scalping. I'd like to welcome uh, two guests today. The first is Pete Gordon, the Chief Operating Officer at Total Ticketing. Good morning, Pete. Good morning, Andre. Good morning. We also have Francis Fong, who is the Honorary President uh, coming on later on the show. Uh, so, Pete, we want to get to the, the bottom of this. What is the current system? Why is this a problem at all? I mean, people are paying too much to see a boy band. Is that a big deal? Well, really, it's, it's the fans that suffer with this. Uh, you have the scalpers in the market will uh, obtain tickets through whatever routes they can and then mark those up horribly. Um, I mean, the numbers being quoted in the news suggest uh, thousands and thousands of percent being added on top of that ticket and it's the everyday fans who want to go and see those artists who are the ones who are suffering at the hands of this so yeah we believe it is a problem is, is part of the problem that so few tickets are being released to the general public anyways i mean uh, if only 30 percent are being released to the general public i mean doesn't that kind of create an opportunity for the scalpers of course. I mean, it, it narrows the supply and therefore increases the demand, which which increases their ability to make money in the way that they do. Right. I mean, but on the other hand, do we really need to protect people? I mean, if I want to throw a party and just invite my friends, I can have 100% of the tickets you know, sold to people I know and like. How is this different? Well, of course. I mean, you know, there's, there's a, a whole moral discussion one can have from... Uh, as you've just described, versus, well, if I've bought a ticket and paid for it, it's a commodity, and if I choose to market up and sell it, why shouldn't I, as I can with other things in life? Um, you'll see it's often the artists who take objection to this, so the likes of Ed Sheeran and Adele and a lot of big names have been rigorously uh, enforcing these practices, and when they identify tickets have been scalped, they're cancelling them and putting them back on public sale. So, you know, the everyday fans suffer, the artists don't like it, um, we believe it to be undesirable, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but how do you distinguish between these, these everyday fans who maybe aren't wealthy enough to pay the inflated prices and super fans who are willing to sacrifice or do whatever it takes to, to, to pay the higher prices? I mean, uh, should they be rewarded for being super fans by being allowed to pay more for tickets? Well, are they being rewarded or, or are they being uh, taken advantage of and, and being made to pay outrageous sums of money for 
above the face value of the ticket. Yeah, well, I mean, so so when we look at this, and I understand you, you've got quite a deep background in the ticketing space, correct? Yeah, we've, we launched uh, Ticket Flap in Hong Kong around 10 years ago at the time it was Hong Kong's uh, only digital ticketing platform. And we've been using real name ticketing uh, from day one. We understood that you know the ability to bind a ticket to an, uh, an identity uh, there's a number of ways you can do that, but the, the simplest and cleanest way really is is through uh, their name and, and an ID that must match. And do you, at those venues, I'm trying to remember, I've been to Clock and Flat, but I, I don't remember having to show ID when I went in. Do, do you actually check the ID of people as they go in? Absolutely, yeah, we check everybody's ID. Okay, and, and you know, especially during the COVID era, but even during normal times, uh, what, what if you get sick? What if you just can't make it and you want to give it to your kids or one of your buddies? I mean, well, that how, how does that to, work? Sorry, that comes down to the organizer's choice. So we will allow people to transfer tickets, change the names on tickets. Uh, however, other, for other events, that's not permitted. Um, so in cases like this, in, in what you would term a hot show, if you allow those transfers and so on, then obviously that just enables the people that get the tickets to scalp them anyway. Um, you can have a system whereby if people have a genuine reason to need to change that name, they need to contact the ticketing company who can assist them making that change. It really comes down to the organizer's policies. Right, and does that incur a huge amount of... Uh uh, customer service requirements? Like, do you have to hire more people and set up systems to, to, to kind of research whether somebody is making a legitimate change or they're a scalper? Uh, generally not. I mean, you, you know, the, 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 the organizer needs to make their own decision. Um, I think in a case like this, the, the, the general decision would be no, the person who's bought that ticket needs to be the person who, who uses it. Mm. And for these, uh, for, the, for these, when you say like the or, this kind of theoretical organizer, what's what's the real situation in Hong Kong? How many are using real name? You said you guys were using it for clock and flap, but is anybody else using it in Hong Kong? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the people that use our system will use it. Um, it really comes down to, I think, a decision the organizer would make about how highly demand, how, how high the demand for their tickets were, and whether they believed that scalping was a risk, in which case they they would enforce it. Others were. There's, a, you know, a plentiful supply of tickets, or it's not the kind of event that that would typically be scalped. Well, they may choose to just scan the ticket and, and not check the name. Right. Okay. I, I have to admit, uh, outside of you know movie tickets, now that movies are back on the menu, uh, I haven't bought tickets for a couple of years. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm trying. I'm struggling. In the last <laughs> of years. I'm struggling to remember. Like, if I want to yeah. buy, you know, a few tickets. Let's say, like, I want to get on it. I know quite often there's you, you can only buy, like, for example, the rugby sevens. If, mm. I think was it two tickets if you can if you can even get them. Uh, but normally there's a limit. But I don't remember like having to fill out the name of everybody I was buying a ticket for and having to put in their Hong Kong ID number or something like that. How how does this actually work? Well, we, as I say, we've been doing it from, from day one. So as you, you select the tickets and put them into your order, the next page uh, comes up with a field for each ticket. You enter the name. Uh, and then on arrival, we'll, we'll check the name against the ticket. Right, okay. So if I'm buying more than one ticket, I, I, but when I'm buying them, I have to know exactly who they're for. And Yes. I mean, obviously, as I said, in most cases, you are able to change those names at a later date if you can't go or if, if one of the people you're going with wants to give their ticket to somebody else. But that's fine in an environment where there isn't a, a high risk of the scalping. Where there is a high risk of scalping, well, then you may choose to restrict that activity. Okay. Uh, my understanding is, okay, A, one of the aims is to protect not-so-well-heeled fans who can't afford inflated prices. But uh, I also understand there's a bit of an issue with uh, you know performers playing to half-empty uh, venues because 
you know, the, the, can you explain a little bit the economics of this for if I'm a scalper and I buy tickets, I sell some at an inflated price, but a lot of them go to waste apparently when this happens? Well, it depends how they've got hold of those tickets. Um, obviously, if they're buying them through the front end of the website like a normal customer, they're unlikely to have bought very, very large amounts. Um, if they've got them through other means, obviously, they may have. Um, it's not generally a problem. I mean, I, 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 you know, you'd be very surprised to find those mirror gigs uh, half empty, given the demand. Okay, so so when the scalpers buy them, they don't buy like a thousand and then maybe they get they sell 200 of them at inflated prices and the other ones end up not being sold they generally sell everything they buy yeah i mean in our experience that's not been a problem okay can you can you um i'm sure you're better versed in this than i am can you explain a little bit how the uh what the penalties are right now because i understand it's there's different penalties for different types of venues in hong kong how, yeah. how does this work so the law the, the, the place of the public uh performance ordinance says that in a private venue, it is illegal for you to resell a ticket at above face value. Hmm. Now, the penalty for each uh, case, now whether a case would be each ticket or if you got caught selling 100 tickets, is, is $2,000. Now, given we're talking about a $480 mirror ticket being offered at $440,000, a yeah, $2,000 fine is, is fairly toothless. So yeah. just a, a However, in the LCSD venues, which the Coliseum is, that law doesn't apply. So there effectively is no law to prevent the resale of tickets above face value in those LCSD venues. Why does the government have a law for everybody else but not itself? You'd have to ask them that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, presume, presumably, you, you were, were you in the business when these laws came into effect, when they were discussed and debated and passed? I think this, is, this has generally been in, in place since we since we started yeah yeah oh okay so it's it's been it's it it has always been thus yeah i don't know what year that legislation came into force but certainly i can't remember it being any different mm, okay well we're gonna have francis fong on later maybe, maybe he can answer the question of why there is one rule for private venues uh and one for government venues what what constitutes a private venue like if i'm having a house party and i'm like hey you guys uh i'm gonna need you all kick in a couple of hundred bucks or if I'm organizing I don't know, like a chamber of commerce is having an event what constitutes a private venue is it just it, it's a it's a privately owned venue that has a uh, an entertainment license so your house doesn't count but if you were um, you know a, a club or a bar or somewhere where you had an entertainment license and you were putting on an act for public consumption at that point that law would apply who has an entertainment license I mean I, I'm familiar with restaurant licenses but I mean I mean, if a restaurant has a three-piece band come in, is that do they have to have an entertainment license for that? What, can you give us an idea of what kind of venues in Hong Kong that people, our listeners, would recognize or consider? Well, obviously, the sorts of venues that we're talking about here would be places like Kitech and um, uh, AWE, uh, sort of larger venues. Uh, as to whether you you need a, a, an entertainment license for a piano player in the corner, um, I'm, I'm not an expert on on that. Okay, so I mean, these, these number of venues that have these entertainment licenses—are there many of them, or is it is it really just like you said, Kitech, mm, AWE? I mean, there's, how, there's how, a few. I mean, Hong Kong's always been a, a, a tricky place for venues because of the cost of the real estate. Um, so we're not overburdened with venues, but but there's 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 plenty of options for certain types of things. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one of the questions that I had posed to me before I uh, came on the show this morning by by one of the guys here at RTHK. Mm -hmm. uh, 
how are people going to get around this? Because wherever there is a system, people are going to find ways around it. So you're a tech guy, you're an operations uh-huh. guy. Uh, what, what kind of dodges or wheezes do people try to deploy? And how do you stop them? Well, I mean, they could try and Photoshop the ticket, for example. Our system will prevent that because the cryptography in the ticket checks the name against what's what's on the thing so you can visibly see whether it's been tampered with. Um, other than that, though, I mean, if it's been properly enforced, we, we get a lot of people saying that the problem with this is how are you going to get them all through the door? And, I mean, that's just nonsense. We, we, on a Friday night at Clock and Flat, we'll get up with 10,000 or more people through the door in, in an hour checking the ID. Uh, we do it in the same way as you would boarding an airline. So somebody checks your ID against your ticket before you reach the scanning point, and we then verify at the scanning point that the name still matches. Okay, but, I mean, are, are there people out there trying to figure out uh, you know, how they can get people into the stadium using tickets that are not the same as the name. Like you said, okay, they could tamper with the ticket. Uh, but, I mean, there's got to be other... I mean, given the amount of money on the table, there's got to be ways to <laughs> that people are at least trying to do that. I'm sure they're trying. I mean, the reality is if, if the... If the system is capable of detecting the ticket's been tampered with and it hasn't, and if the name on the ticket matches the ID and that is checked and enforced, then ultimately either the person that bought that ticket or somebody else with the same name is going to need to be the person using it. Mm, okay. And I mean, I mean, if you're taking a $480 ticket, which is what the mirror tickets are going for and marking it up to, I don't know, 1000 bucks, probably not worth you know coming up with a mastermind criminal scheme. But we've seen reports, and, and you mentioned... $480,000? Yeah, 440 I think it was, but yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Absolutely But crazy. is anybody actually going to pay that? Like, I see news stories like that, and I really cock an eyebrow at them and say, you know, someone is reportedly offering it for sale at 440000 I'm like, yeah, but I mean, I could offer anything for that kind of money. Is anybody actually going to pay that? I, I don't know. There are people out there with an awful lot of money, and if their son or daughter is absolutely desperate to see it then uh, you know I, i'm not in that world myself unfortunately so uh, whether or not people will pay those prices i, I couldn't comment right but i mean uh, you, you're not in that world but you're you're very close to it they're, well, they're, kind, of, they're I mean, kind of banging I mean, on your door right I mean, i'm in the industry i'm not in the world where i've got half a million dollars in my pocket to spend on a ticket <laughs> is what okay. i meant gotcha yeah there's definitely a lot of money in this yeah how, how do you conduct research into what scalpers are up to the new things that they're doing i mean do you, do you guys go out there and actively try to find these people and say what do you what are you guys doing or, or try to figure out what their latest moves are we, we i mean we know what a lot of them are uh, from having observed it and from reading industry press obviously there's websites like viagogo um you know they'll do all sorts of things they will like there are tickets for mirror on sale on viagogo now despite the fact that the tickets are not on sale to the public yet and what they'll often do is they'll pre-sell the tickets and then try and buy them to fulfill what they sold but they will create this illusion of scarcity of demand on the on the third party uh you know the, the secondary market sites uh and they will label themselves as official ticket seller when they're not you know there's all kinds of of things that they'll get up to obviously what goes on uh behind closed doors we we, we don't have visibility of um but in terms of the online practices it's it's very clear and, and you know that that but there's precedent from all over the world about how people are currently trying to circumnavigate these things. Gotcha. I, w- I want to come back to that. I'll tell you guys a story about me getting some baseball tickets in Toronto a couple of years ago. But first, I want to welcome uh, Francis Fong to the show, who is the Honorary President for the Hong Kong Information Technology Federation. Good morning, Francis. Francis, are you there? 
Yep. Was, there we go. There he is. Okay. Good, good morning, Francis. Uh, thank you for joining us here today. You're on with Pete Gordon, who's the Chief Operating Officer at Total Ticketing. I don't know if you two have met before. Um, not, not yet. <laughs> not had the pleasure, no. Hopefully you'll get to do it live. Uh, Francis, we, we've been talking about, uh, of course, topic of the day is uh, ticketing and ticket uh, scalping. And as more measures are being introduced, we're, we're talking about how scalpers are going to try to get around them, whether it's through using technology or other means. Uh, Francis, are, you know, have you, you been on top of this issue? From a uh, yeah, I've been following this a little bit. Yeah, so we can talk about this. So, so what, uh, you know, what, what kind of measures are being taken by people to get around these systems and how can ticket sellers protect themselves? Well, I think right now, because of the the concept by the Mira, um, so they are asking, uh, they're, they're doing by uh, selling the tickets using the real name registration system. Um, I think this has been done before in the music concert, uh, uh, like like last year, and so far it's okay. I mean, um, in in Europe and in Japan, they've been using a real name registration system to uh, sell tickets for quite a while. So uh, I don't see actually any problems for doing such a thing in Hong Kong. And um, of course, there are ways that uh, these uh, uh, ticket uh, uh, those people who like to uh, doing uh, tickets escaping, um, they try to get around um, now. When we're looking at the web, there are people saying that they can, just like what you said, they, they said they can uh, sell, uh, uh, they can help you to buy tickets. So, but you have, because of the real name registration system, you have to give them your real name, um, your probably your ID, uh, Hong Kong ID information, and also your credit card information, etc., etc. So, but I think this is a very dangerous ad when you are sur- sur- surrendering all sorts of personal details details and your credit card details to somebody that you don't actually know it and then they can help you buy tickets or they can buy a lot of other things so I, I'll try to warn the public uh, please don't do that because it's very dangerous yeah I mean pe- people kind of do that all the time now don't they? they get on some random website and think oh hey e-commerce it's, I'm sure it's fine <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I think because of the COVID actually people are getting uh, more familiar with all sorts of e-commerce but there are also a lot of people uh, being trapped by all these uh, 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 um, uh, people would like to uh, cheat you. I mean, on, on, on all sorts of ways. It just don't it just happen on the street, but now it's happening on the website right now. Right. So just just a bad idea. So here's here's something I want to put to you guys. And, and Pete, this might be a little more in your wheelhouse as somebody mm-hmm. in the industry. So a few years ago, uh, family trip back to Toronto, and I'm like, hey, we'll just go down to watch a Blue Jays baseball game and. Well, I'm sure we can get some tickets there. You know, whenever I see it on TV, the stadium's never full. I'm sure there'll be some kind of tickets we can buy. And we went down, uh, coming down through the kind of the walkway to the, the stadium, and some guy stops us and says, hey, do you guys want tickets? I've got season tickets. I can't go today. My friend, you know, my wife, whatever. He, he had to read. And he gave us his, his season ticket seats for that day. He just handed them to us. It was probably $400 Canadian worth of tickets. Uh and so we went and had these fantastic seats, but he was able to just hand them to us as strangers. He's like, I can't go. I don't want them to go to waste. You look like a nice family of four. Take my tickets, please. And we were like, fantastic. Had a great day. Under this system that's being proposed, that kind of generosity cannot happen. Am I right? Uh, I Yeah, I think so. But uh, 
So, so the, I think the industry are actually talking about if you have ticket that you don't want it, you want to get refund and then uh, the organizer will take it back and then sell it again. I think that can be managed. Yeah. Right. Pete, Pete could, could that act of uh, benevolence have been bestowed upon me and my family under the system that is that is being used, this, this kind of real name system? Well, I'm assuming, obviously, that that ticket had his name on it and you didn't share his name, then no, you would not have been able to get in. Yeah. To uh, the point made by Francis, though, you know, if he had returned those tickets, then somebody else would have been able to buy them. No, yeah, I think he said they were season six. I mean, the guy just gave them to us. Yeah. We, were, we were kind of like gobsmacked. We didn't ask too many questions. Mm. And yeah, I mean, there's the flip side to that. There's a, a rather unfortunate gentleman um, I encountered at Formula E one year who had gone on to Viagogo and had bought for what he believed to be grandstand tickets uh, and spent about $20,000 on them. And when I informed him that they weren't grandstand tickets, they were the free-to-the-public e-village tickets, uh, he was rather looking for me to provide a solution. I had to explain <laughs> to him that it would have been as if he'd literally bought them from some guy around the corner. Yeah, uh, He just happened to have done it online um, and that he should go and you know file a police complaint and take it up with his credit card company. But these, these sort of practices are, are, are rife and, and we certainly would advise anybody to make sure that you're buying from an official channel and that you know that the ticket you're buying actually exists is what it's supposed to be and you're not being taken for a ride on overpricing and, and endless fees. Mm, it's, it's kind of strange that now buying it online gives people the false impression of some kind of legitimacy like Francis was saying. Yeah, I mean, especially when some of those sites, and we had a put stop put to it in Hong Kong, we contacted Google, but certainly a few years back, if you went and searched for clock and flap tickets, they would come up claiming to be the official seller of clock and flap tickets, which they absolutely were not. Hmm. And, uh, is, is, is scalping not institutionalized now in North America? So I guess the, the follow-on to my, my Blue Jays baseball story was that I thought I could go down to the stadium and buy tickets, and later my friends explained to me, they're like, you would have been turned away at the door because there's another company that buys all the tickets like at the beginning of the season, and then they, are, they resell them at whatever price they see fit. And I, I didn't realize that. Why do we not have that? Why has that happened in places like North America? Apparently that's quite common, uh, but it hasn't happened here. Why is that? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of stuff in the in the press. I mean, John Oliver did a piece on on it a while back about how the promoters or, or that you know the rights owners of those tickets uh, might be feeding them to uh, the secondary market themselves. I, I can't comment on 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 that or, or here really. Um, it's you know as you said, uh, and only thirty percent are going on public sale. So as as well as one can police that through real name ticketing at the point of purchase. If the others are printed, well, then anything can happen. Gotcha. I've I've got an email here from uh, Vic. Uh, Vic says uh, Hong Kongers do not miss a chance to make money. Hmm, true. <laughs> if there is enough incentive, everyone in society will be a scalper on that day. What bothers me is people are willing to pay so much for a ticket without batting an eyelid. I dare say many of them are not even true fans. They are only in it for the snob value. Better for the government to lease out the premises to the bands and let them manage the sale of tickets, especially when only 30% of available seats are up to sale to the public. We need less government, uh, especially when they do not seem to have a solution to this issue for a while. Francis Fong, uh, less government, should the government you know, just let it be and let the, the, the artists, the producers, the entertainment companies work this out themselves. And if they want to offer 30%, fine. If they want to offer 2%, 100%, whatever. I mean, should we just get the government out of this business? 
I, I think um, we'll have to put the um, the ticketscaping uh, things into t- uh, two, two different sides. The first is uh, those who are not the organizer. So, so those are the people who are doing the ticket scaling. They buy uh, randomly uh, on the web. They use all sorts of technology to try to prevent you getting into the system so they can buy all the tickets that they can buy. And then they, they resell it into the market. So that's number one. Uh, I think the real name registration system can prevent those happen, uh, not even to 100% extent, at least to um, for the majority. And the second one is actually those who actually were talking about the industry want to reserve like uh, 10%, 20%, 30%. Those in those are what we call the internal cells, and actually, when when they when the ticket are get into the internal cells, and then they can resell it at an even higher price if the if the concert is so popular. And I think um, if you look at um, the. Uh, interview in the past few days there are some resistance in the some of the industry some of the organizers saying that oh when you implement the real name registration system let's see how it works you know mm-hmm. they, they, they're not very supportive because I were well, there are something happening um, and I think uh, if if, we, if the government or if the industry is trying to put the uh, real name registration system uh, on the run uh, I think um, at the end of the day they will prevent them from making money uh, uh, officially or unofficially. I mean, the company can make more money uh, if without the system, uh, or there are people inside the organizer that, that want to make money too. I mean, sure, so sure. we don't know, but th- th- that's happened, I think. Francis, we're, we're getting to the top of the uh, the half hour here, but I did want to ask, we, I asked Pete before, and he, he wasn't aware uh, of when this law came into place. Why was there a distinction between private venues with an entertainment license and the LCSD, the government venues? Uh, apparently, you can scalp tickets for an LCSD venue to your heart's delight. Why is it different? Uh, I think uh, what i actually thinking is I, I w- I'd rather put it that way. Uh, try to make it uh, uh, in, into 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 a law. I mean, so to enforce that people cannot do ticket scaling, or at what kind of margin you can do it. Not yeah, yeah, but why? Is, why government? Why why are government venues exempted? Do you know? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, okay. uh, but I think that that's that's what I'm talking about because there are resistance from the industry. I see. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're gonna maybe we're gonna have to do a little bit of, a little bit of research on that and revisit this topic on another day. Today we've had the uh, the lowdown from Pete Gordon, Chief Operating Officer of Total Ticketing. Thank you, Pete. Thank you, Andrew. And thank you also to Francis Fong, who's the Honorary President for the Hong Kong Information Technology Federation. Thank you, Francis. All right, I'm Andrew Work, and I want to thank all of our listeners today, especially those that called and sent in emails, which would be our man Vic. A uh, huge thank you to our producer, Yuki Tsong, and my splendid sound man, Andy. Uh, we want to make sure you tune in Monday for mo- more COVID talk. And then after that, we'll have the former boy band stars, Jim Gould and Mike Rouson, uh, commanding back chat. Uh, the weather this week, uh, it's going to be mainly cloudy today with occasional showers. I got caught in one this morning. Max temperature will be around 29 degrees. Uh, right now, the temperature is 28 degrees Celsius, and we have 87% humidity. Before doing a COVID-19 rapid antigen test, read the user guide carefully and follow each step as instructed. First, prepare a clean surface and wash your hands. For a nasal swab, insert the swab into your nostrils and rub it against the walls of each nostril several times as instructed. Submerge the swab tip fully into the buffer solution and stir. Squeeze droplets of the solution slowly into the well of the test device afterwards. Wait for the time specified in the user guide and read the result. 
Results taken beyond the time limit will be invalid. When finished, dispose of all parts of the test kit properly. If only the C-line is present, the test result is negative. If both the C-line and the T-line are present, the test result is positive. In which case, you have to take a photo of the result and report it within 24 hours via the declaration system of the Department of Health. Do the test often by yourself. It helps you detect any infection and receive treatment as soon as possible to protect yourself and others around you. Do the test.